baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Should military bases named after Confederate generals be changed? The Army is going to have a hard talk with some of the soldiers who knelt during protests. I'm Rod Rodriguez, and this is The Back Brief. What's going on, everyone? I'm Rod Rodriguez. This is another week of emotionally charged headlines. Are we going to change the names of these military bases that have been named after Confederate generals? What does it mean to do that? We're going to talk a little bit about the soldiers who were kneeling during some of these protests. Some of them put their riot shields down. There's also videos of them dancing with the protesters, not rioters, but the protesters. So there's a lot going on right now, and everybody has their opinion, and this, these opinions go all the way to the top. We're talking about Secretary of Defense, uh, the President of the United States. Uh, General Milley just came out with some news today that, that broke some headlines. So to help me sort through the news, I'm bringing on board Elizabeth Howe and Jack Murphy, both connecting vets reporters. Hot right now in the news is the renaming of bases. So right now we have several bases that are named after Confederate generals. Uh, I was stationed at one of those, Fort Hood. I know a lot of folks want to name it to, to Fort Benavides after Roy Benavides, a, uh, a Medal of Honor Green Beret winner, uh, awardee, I should say. Uh, what's going on in this world of renaming bases? Can they do that? And do we need the president to do that? I believe the Secretary of Defense can do it and the Secretary of the Army could do it on their own. I don't believe there's any sort of uh, presidential mandate required. Um, I, I haven't researched this topic. However, the president is the commander in chief, so he, he's the final arbiter. Um, if he doesn't want it to happen, it's, it's not going to happen. You know, we went through this um, with some other issues with the Trump administration. And I think one of the more like poignant comments someone made uh, was that, you know, he could order the Air Force to paint F-22s pink if he wanted to. You know, the, the president really is in charge of the military uh, frontwards and back. That is one of the, um, you know, true uh, and clear executive authorities that the president has is a dominion over, you know, the U.S. military. So that's an interesting point. And I think a lot of people don't realize when they say commander in chief, what that actually means. So when you talk about he could order us to paint all our, you know, uh, military aircraft pink, does that also mean that uh, if the secretary of defense were to say, let's rename Fort Hood for Benavides, that he can nix that he can go for it and like, no, we're not doing that. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Libby, Tell me a little bit about how uh, this story has developed over the last couple of weeks. Is this something that we've seen in the past? Have we seen folks asking to rename these these bases before? Yeah, it's a topic that comes up every once in a while. It's come up repeatedly. And in the past, the Army has said several things from historical preservation to they've even cited budget concerns of how much it would actually cost to change those installations' names across all sorts of signs and, and paperwork. And it's kind of just quieted down time and time again. It'll come up every once in a while and then fade out a little bit. But if 
if this most recent national trend is any indicator, this is the first time that Army leadership has even said that they're open to conversations about changing the names. Of course, that was before President Donald Trump came out and said that he was not in favor of renaming any of these installations, but it was earlier this week that Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy and Secretary of Defense Mark Esper said they were open to bipartisan discussions about renaming these 10 installations. So some of the criticism that has come uh, forward about renaming these uh, installations is that it's coming right at the heels of riots and protests. The fear amongst a lot of folks is if we rename the bases now, we're giving the we're giving rioters some level of authority. We're saying that, yes, you can riot and be very loud and destroy things and changes will occur. We should let this die down for a little bit and then maybe do some gradual changes along the way. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Jack? Yeah, I mean, that may end up being what happens. I, I mean, I don't know what you think, Libby, but I mean, I get the thought or, or get the feeling that Army leadership or DOD in general wants to have, you know, a discussion with Congress and, you know, work out together what they would rename these bases. And I'm sure DOD wants to have a hand in what they would rename them um, and want, would want to have a hand in, you know, choosing uh, what the bases or who the bases would be named after. Uh, and, and they probably don't want to do anything brashly or quickly. They probably want to have a, a long drawn out process. This is the government after all. Um, but yeah, it apparently that was squashed quite quickly by the president uh, shooting out some tweets. So it, it seems that that discussion is dead, at least for the time being. I've seen a lot of kickbacks specifically on what White House Press Secretary McEnany said yesterday about these forts were the last American soil that troops saw before they went overseas and died for our country. On Twitter specifically, I've seen a lot of kickback on that concept of like, I didn't go overseas and die for Fort Polk or for Fort Hood specifically, that type of, or my, my brothers in arms didn't do so for a specific installation. But on the other hand, we have a lot of our audiences on the opposite side of the spectrum of this is our history and what are we doing by erasing this history and removing these names of these military leaders that were serving their country at the time. So even among our audience, we're seeing a lot of divergence between no service member has that strong of an emotional attachment to a specific name versus these are historical names with historical context. Libby, you brought up a great point. There is that discussion about history. This is a historical figure. One of the arguments that I've heard a lot is you can't erase your past. For a lot of people, they feel like taking down statues or renaming bases that are named after Confederate generals is some, some type of washing of our history, some type of dismantling of our history, denying that it ever happened. Jack, I know you're a big fan of history, a big history buff yourself. You know, what's your perspective on changing the name of a fort somehow changes our perspective of history? You know, social mores change over time and um, there's a need to evolve with it. And maybe it is good to have at least have a conversation about, you know, who these bases should be named after. My deeper concern is really more where does where does this go? Where does it end? You know, is it about fighting racism? If you change the name of these bases, is it going to result in the improvement of the quality of life for minority populations or, or for our African-American soldiers? I mean, if it is, then absolutely we should do it. Um, if it's more just to, to um, 
satisfy our emotions uh, in the moment. What is a historical moment in many ways for this country? Um, then maybe it's not worth it. But if it's going to change, you know, uh, a quality of life, it's going to change significantly, change perceptions. Then maybe it's worth doing it. My larger concern is about people moving on to America's founding fathers. That after they finish with this, they're going to move on to Washington. They're going to move on to Jefferson. They're going to move on to Adams. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that's never going to happen. Not everything is a stepping stone to a larger uh, quagmire or, or, or larger crisis. Maybe it is just this one aspect that bases are named after Civil War generals that needs to be tackled. And that would be the conversation I would like to have about you know, where, where does this end where we uh, have this sort of moral absolutism across the, the span and the breadth of American history. Um, because it is important to acknowledge that I think two-thirds of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were slave owners. I mean, it was the thing to do at the time. It was the way that you you got rich and stayed rich. It's the way that you became influential. It, it, it's definitely a, a sensitive topic, and I, I think that it's definitely one that, that needs to be open to discussion. These are These are hard and very scary conversations, but I think these are conversations we need to have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's important also to keep in mind that the Constitution of the United States, although flawed, and yes, it was written by essentially white supremacists uh, the way we look at it today, that that document also provided the bedrock for people like Martin Luther King to stand upon yeah. and to point to and say, hey, we do not have our constitutional rights, that we are not on equal footing here. It, it provided the, the legal basis for them to fight for their own rights. So uh, I, I guess it's just a matter of throwing out the baby with the bathwater here. Tell us about the story that just uh, came out about troops protesting in uniform. Yeah, so National Guard troops were activated across the country in civil unrest capacities. Uh, a lot of them were filmed and photographed participating in the protests. You could say there were a group of Tennessee National Guard's troops that laid down their shields. There was one in Washington, D.C. who was recorded chanting along with the protesters. And there were a group in, I think, Minnesota that took a knee. And so the question kind of arose, like, are you protesting in uniform? Is this going to be reprimanded? Um, this is super unprecedented situation. What's the response to it? So we actually, uh, Secretary of the Army, Ryan McCarthy, has been doing a good job of keeping the press updated. And someone asked him what would happen. And he said specifically, we don't want to punish our troops. We don't want to punish our troops. But they have to understand that protesting in uniform isn't something that we want to do. And so he said that the army will be having hard, uncomfortable conversations with soldiers that may have done some of these things. It was interesting because this morning, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, said during a commencement address that that photo op from last Monday that everyone is still talking about, where he was photographed behind the president in uniform, he shouldn't have been there. He came out and said, I should not have done that. I regret it. I was in uniform. I was perceived as making a military statement attached to a political agenda. And that's just not something that we want to do. And he was talking to a lot of future officers and officers from the National Defense University. So very much coming out and saying, I should not have been standing behind President Trump in uniform like I was. And so it kind of goes back to all these other, these guard troops who have um, decided or made decisions that could be interpreted as protesting in uniform. And it's really kind of, it is again an unprecedented situation 
And I'm sure we'll see the stories start surfacing uh, in the weeks to come of either troops being reprimanded for that or not being reprimanded. It's really kind of unclear at the moment. Jack, I know you're familiar with uh, a situation that occurred in Iraq where when uh, a unit was faced with a large crowd of people, very angry at Americans being present, that the commander in charge of that particular group told everyone, put your rifles down, take a knee, and show these people that we, we're not their enemy, we're here to help. This has become a very famous anecdote in the military about how to deal with uh, a very angry crowd, de-escalating the situation. It sounds to me like these troops kind of took that page and used it, but is there a difference between these two situations where these troops taking knees and putting their shields down, were they wrong? It's a difference in optics and anything related to domestic politics, of course, is intensely polarized. Uh, if you look at Iraqi politics, the average American has no idea what a Sunni and Shia is. So it's just not the same as, you know, when you start talking about liberals and conservatives in America, where everyone has an opinion about that. And so if you're on the right, you see this as appeasement to, you know, Antifa terrorists. Uh, if you're on the left, maybe you see it as, you know, cooperation between the two or, um, but it raises all those sorts of questions for people and, and kind of, I don't know, from my point of view, gnashing of teeth and, and pointless outrage. At the end of the day, I mean, it was very smart of them to de-escalate the situation rather than go out there with batons and riot shields and start cracking skulls open. Maybe there's another way to go about this. Uh, and I would much rather see them, you know, put their riot shields down and let the people know that, hey, they're there to work with them and even there to protect them uh, rather than antagonize them. You know, one of my friends, he was in a National Guard unit. And uh, this was back when Baltimore happened a few years ago. And he was walking, he said he was just walking amongst the crowd with uh, body armor on and a rifle and people would come up and shake his hand and be like, hey, thanks for coming out here. And if you can do that, it is, uh, I, I mean, it should go without saying, it's, it's so much better than some of the things we've seen in the past, in America's past. You know, you think of Kent State's uh, particularly, we don't wanna go down that road if we don't have to. So if uh, the National Guard can deescalate things, and even if the optics aren't particularly good from one po political persuasion, I, I think, you know, we should do it. I think we have an obligation to do it. Libby, we have seen other video and other footage of police officers and National Guard troops in uniform dancing with these uh, with protesters. <laughs> We've seen them um, cracking jokes, doing funny videos, doing Instagram, doing TikToks. How does that differ from taking a knee? How does that differ? It has the... Uh, DOD come out with any response to these soldiers making these videos with protesters? They haven't. And that's why it is such a fine line. And there are going to be a lot of conversations about what's going on, because where what's the line between demonstrating and just de-escalating? And the same thing goes for those individuals that put their shields down. Was that a sign of protest against what they were being ordered to do? Or was that de-escalation? So that's there's going to be conversations. Uh, the DOD hasn't released any sort of unified statement about if you did this while you were in a civil unrest capacity, you will be reprimanded. And I don't expect us to see any sort of guidance like that. There have been statements from the generals of specific National Guard units. It really does seem like this is something that units are gonna handle in their own way. I don't see any major punitive actions coming out of it at the moment. There are a lot of conversations about um, the 
lack of clarity in what different uniforms were even out there because there were individuals in what looked like National Guard uniforms doing things like kneeling or even slashing tires on the opposite end of the spectrum. And it turns out they weren't National Guard. They were law enforcement that just happened to have those uniforms. So I know there have been a lot of conversations about how can you even identify from these grainy iPhone videos was that a National Guard troop doing these things or was it a member of law enforcement? And whose responsibility is it to even determine that? So moving forward, I see weeks and weeks of after action reports that have to come out of this and a lot of questions, I guess. Folks, that does it for this episode of The Back Brief. I'm Rod Rodriguez. You can go find out more about Connecting Vets at ConnectingVets.com. You can also follow along with me at Rod Pod Rod. that's R-O-D-P-O-D-R-O-D on Twitter. You can reach Elizabeth Howe on Twitter at ECB Howe. Awesome. Jack? I'm Jack Murphy, journalist at ConnectingVets.com. You can find me on Twitter at JackMurphyRGR. All right. That does it for me, folks. I will see you at the next episode. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.